0: if anyone else wants to come up and offer any pointers before i start i would appreciate all the help uh, i can get but before i start i actually wanted to say that uh, so last week i was sitting up in the balcony um and behind kieran and nora moore the moore families up there and i was watching intently as uh, especially kieran who was in front of me was drawing throughout father jim's entire homily and then after church i i said could i ask you what that was. And so I I got an explanation, and it was a really different interpretation than what I had heard. And so I actually want to make the invitation. I asked them last week, but I would make the invitation to especially any young person who's in the audience today. You get to define that term for yourself. Um, But if you find yourself doodling, drawing, or writing something down during my remarks, I would love to see what that is after. quite honestly. So if you, if you want to find me after, and um, I posted about it on Facebook and I would be happy to post some of your pictures uh, of whatever you have. So just want to offer that invitation before we start today. Uh, now I'm not a person who is the most in tune with current trends. Uh, I don't know all of the popular songs or TV shows. I cannot do the TikTok dances for the life of me. Uh, Nor am I up on the latest fashion trends, which you can decide for yourself uh, if that's true. But over the past few years, uh, there's been a trend that I've paid a little attention to. It's called reverse mentoring. And in reverse mentoring, a person with either less status or less experience in an organization takes on a more seasoned person and offers them perspective of what's emerging or what's important. Now as you know we are in the third week of Advent and generally the Gospels during the second and third weeks of Advent are all about John the Baptist. And John is this fiery and feral character from the Christian scriptures. He lives in the wilderness, baptizes people in the Jordan River, he eats bugs, he dresses himself in clothing that he's made from camel hair. Now, there is more and more scriptural scholarship that points to the idea that Jesus went out to be with John in what we might think of as a reverse mentoring process. Jesus, who we might think of as the star of the show and the more seasoned and important person in the organization, actually seeks out his cousin, John the Baptist, to learn from him. Now you may be wondering what does the CEO of the universe need to learn from a frontline employee like John? Now first of all, I don't know if you've seen any episodes of Undercover Bosses, hopefully you have. CEOs need to be in touch with the folks who are on the front lines of the organization and what's going on for them. But it also seems likely that Jesus turned to John not just for inspiration, but direction. John and his community were part of an old, wilderness-based tradition in Israel that dated back more than 3,000 years. Actually, what the reading we hear from Isaiah today was written as part of a land-based consciousness, and we hear the earth spoken of in it. Mainstream religion at the time of Jesus had lost touch with the wilderness way, which is why the religious leaders didn't know what to do with John. They didn't recognize him, or what he represented. But Jesus did, and Jesus wanted to be mentored by this tradition, and I would suggest it's a path for us to follow as well. An author who I've been moved by a lot lately is a guy named Stephen Charleston, and Stephen is an Episcopal bishop as well as an elder in the Choctaw Nation. And he's got a beautiful book called Ladder to the Light, and it describes how generally in Europe and in Western countries, We created sacred spaces that point us up towards heaven. So if you go into almost any church, uh, all of the direction is taking you up to something beyond this world. He said in his tradition, the sacred spaces called kivas were actually created in the ground, and they pointed you back up towards the earth. And so that he said, we climbed a ladder not to heaven, but to where we were supposed to be in this reality, surrounded by all of the other forms of creation. Now it's my sense that John the Baptist did the same. He helped to create a ladder to the light that led not to some other world, but back to the world around us. And John was known as the Baptist because this is what he literally did. He performed a ritual Jewish ceremony that ushered people back into the world. Now, earlier this year, and some of you may have been there, we had a joint Lenten scripture study uh, with people from Temple Sinai. And in one of the sessions, I was talking about Jesus's baptism by John. And I was going on a bit about baptism and what it meant. And uh, one of the participants, who is a rabbi, raised her hand and asked if she could comment a little bit on Jewish baptism. Now, it reminds me a little of a guy who happens upon a a car accident that's that's happened and a crowd starts to gather, and he's frantically checking everybody to make sure that they're okay, and a woman says, you know, can I help? He said, no, 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 I got this. And so she says, well, when you get to the part where you ask anyone in the crowd if they're a doctor, I'll be right here. (laughs) And so I would wanna offer you a pro tip uh, when you're doing a presentation on the baptism of Jesus and a Jewish rabbi asks if they can help a bit, you say yes. Um, and so this rabbi told us that the Hebrew word used for the ceremony of baptism was mikvah. And mikvah was a ritual that one would do multiple times, not just once like in our tradition. And it was ideally performed in what they called living water, like the Jordan River which means you were supposed to be outside. So people literally immersed themselves in local living water to come back to their identity, their purpose, and their place. Now at the time of John, the ritual of Jewish baptism had already moved to indoor bathtubs or pools of water, and they had lost a vital connection to the land. John was trying to get people back out into the natural world. He was shouting, this is where the light is. Now over Thanksgiving holiday, my two adult children were back in town and uh, they wanted to take a dip in Lake Ontario. Fortunately and unfortunately, they are into cold water swimming. And so I wanted to prove to them that I am still adventurous and young at heart of which I am neither, um, but I went into talk about a mikvah into local living water. Now for the record, I'm gonna recommend uh, that you do summer baptisms if you're gonna do those outdoors, but uh, I do have to say that as jarring as an experience as it was, it grounded me and forced me to get in touch with the world in ways that I don't usually. Something in me came alive in a new way. I felt connected in ways that I don't usually. Now for the most part, the way we have designed our lives in the United States keeps us separated from the natural world. Most of us can identify hundreds of corporate logos, but we cannot identify five species of trees or plants. We have lost fundamental connections to trees, to water, to animals, and the land, and we traded it for convenience, comfort, and things. Now last spring our rabbi friend taught us that the word mikvah comes from the Hebrew root which can mean three things, hope, alignment, and braiding together. And for me, these are beautiful words for the Advent season. How do we maintain hope? How do we get realigned? And how do we braid ourselves together? Even by the time of John the Baptist, he could see the writing on the wall. The world that John encountered was a world that, in his view, had lost its alignment and was unraveling. The land was being developed, inequality was growing, Injustice seemed rampant, and that was 2,000 years ago. What John was trying to offer in the wilderness was a way out of the insanity a chance to be realigned, a chance to be rebraided to one another and to the earth, a chance to be light in the darkness. Now, I've come to believe that one of the reasons John's community was able to embody this is because they learned it directly from the land that they lived on. Not unlike so many indigenous communities in our world today who practice land-based theology and have for thousands of years, John's community relied on the wisdom of the world to teach them how to be light. Now we can't turn off generations of disconnection or turn it around all at once, but we can keep shifting. Some of you may be familiar with Robin Wall Kimmerer. Uh, She's a great voice and a teacher for me in this regard. And uh, her book, Braiding Sweetgrass, has become a, a bestseller. And in it, she says that in the Western tradition, there is a recognized hierarchy of creatures. And guess who's on the top of the pyramid? Human beings, of course, right? She says in indigenous communities, humans are generally referred to as the younger ones of creation. Humans have the least experience with how to live and the most to learn. And so we must look to our teachers from other species. Their wisdom is apparent in the way that they live, she says, they teach us by example. They have been on the earth far longer than we have been and they've had some time to figure things out. So how might we connect more intentionally with these teachers and guides? Well, quite a few years ago, I was on a retreat uh, about nature and the human soul, and one of our assignments was to go outdoors and ask for a guide to find you. Now, not every tree or chipmunk or plant is gonna want to engage us all the time, okay? Humans can be a little hard to uh, interact with, but some will, and when we find one that is willing to engage, say thank you, and have a dialogue. So what I would suggest as an advent practice in the tradition of Robin Wall Kimmerer and John the Baptist is to bring whatever is going on in your life right now into conversation with someone from the non-human world. So you may be asking yourself, Mike, are you really suggesting that I go outside and talk to an oak tree about holding on to faith during hard times? Yes. Are you suggesting that I confer with squirrels about finding joy in challenge? Absolutely. Are you suggesting that I open my heart to a patch of moss in my backyard? Of course. But be sure to ask them, what do they need from you? These are all our spiritual kin. They understand struggle and hardship, hope and longing. They understand how, as Paul tells us in the second reading, to rejoice always and pray without ceasing, because that is how they live. They will teach us if we are willing to listen, and they are literally dying for us to pay attention to them. My guess is that they were some of the primary teachers for John and his community, and hopefully they will be ours too. In Advent, we are asked to be bearers of light in the world. We are asked to provide comfort to the weary, release to those being held captive, and strength to those who are weak. We're asked to bring light wherever there is a need for it, and we are asked to bring it without knowing if it will be successful or effective. Creation is an incredible source of light for us. We must do all we can to align and realign with its wisdom and guidance. Now, later this week, we actually celebrate the winter solstice. This has been celebrated for millennia, even before Christianity was around. It's the day when the light starts to overtake the darkness. So go outside if you can. Go outside as often as you can connect with this land, connect with the creatures on it, acknowledge your kin, take in the light, let it heal, help, and hold you, and then let that light return to the world through you so that others might find their own. I mentioned Stephen Charleston earlier, and in his book he offers messages that have come to him during his prayer times, words of inspiration and guidance. I want to close with one of his passages that really touched me, and I think carries a message for this season. And if you want, it's kind of a visual meditation, so if you want to close your eyes and picture this, go ahead. But imagine you walked onto a large open field at night, where there's no moon. Standing there silently in the darkness were hundreds of people, each holding an unlit candle. Only you were carrying a candle that was burning, a single light alone. How quickly would the field be glowing once you used your candle to light others and they used their candles to do the same and all the people began sharing their light with those around them? You may never know exactly, but you do know over time what the outcome will be a field aglow in the darkness where people can see one another and the world around them more clearly. Your life matters. What you have started will carry on. You are a source of light. You help others in ways that will continue. You are a single candle, but you are stronger than the darkness.